So it was the f- last thing I told you about on yesterday's O-Line Tears episode of the Fantasy Feast, and it's the first time thing I'm telling you about today. Pro football focus. There's a reason. I think all 32 teams now subscribe to Pro Football Focus in some way, shape, or form. Think about that. Every NFL team. So if every NFL team is subscribing to Pro Football Focus, why aren't you guys? You can use the promo code POD20 to save 20% and get full access to the new premium stats database, Green Line Game Picks. It's PFF Elite. Gives you all the performance data you need to make winning picks all season long. Join PFF Fantasy today and prepare to win. Sign up at ProFootballFocus.com. Use promo code POD20 to save 20% on all subscription plans. It's time to eat. Get in my belly. Sit down and get ready to consume an abundance of fantasy football knowledge from Ross Tucker and Evan Silva. Me so hungry. On the Fantasy Feast Eating Podcast. Yeah, let's eat, baby. It is the Fantasy Feast Eating Podcast. He is Evan Silva at Evan Silva on Twitter. I'm at Ross Tucker NFL, the former journeyman offensive lineman he's the roto world superstar it's the show that's so nice we do it twice and i know why a lot of you are here you want to know if you got in the league well here we go without further ado here are the final three spots in the season long league kyle odom he sent me sponsor confirmations for bet online squad ql he rated and reviewed like every show we have even money and everything ross tucker football podcast college draft business of sports dan lamagna did the same he signed up for pro football focus for ffe uh fantasy football evolution rated and reviewed the show as well and jared sparks sent me both seat geek and dollar shave club confirmation so the dudes that clearly go above and beyond are the dudes that win a lot of these contests and we'll have a different contest starting next week that i know a lot of you will be very very excited about maybe i'll even tell you a little bit later in the show what that contest entails right now i want to tell you what i'm so excited about in terms of all the emails i've been getting from you guys about SeatGeek. I mean all kinds of emails. You guys have been using the crap out of SeatGeek the last couple weeks to get tickets for both the preseason and the regular season. It's been awesome. I actually like when you guys get the SeatGeek app and when you use the code Tucker, or in this case, since we're on the Fantasy Feast, use the code FEAST to get the $20 off because I love seeing the deals that you get. Like I'm amazed at the prices that you guys get on some of these different tickets that you get. In case some of you haven't heard before, it's your first podcast, definitely go back and listen to the rest of the tiers that Evan and I did, including my O-line one yesterday. But also, check out the fact that you can get unbelievable tickets like you can at SeatGeek. It's like kayak. You guys use kayak to pick your flights. You know, It kind of aggregates 
Delta and United and American Airlines and South and Southwest, whatever. It aggregates them and gives you the best pricing available. Well, that's what SeatGeek does for tickets. So download the SeatGeek app, enter promo code FEAST today. That's promo code FEAST for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek, life is an event. We have the tickets. And we have time for Evan to give us your preseason fallers and risers. This is a very, very important podcast next meal next meal all right evan let's get into it my friend risers first christian mccaffrey he's looked awesome in the preseason hasn't he absolutely and you know i i I do like to watch players performance in the preseason i think that it's most telling probably for the offensive line uh, and people can go back and listen to our offensive line show. You did an awesome on job breaking down all the offensive line tiers. Um, and, you know, that is uh, uh, an, an area on the football field where I think that performance can matter. Um, what matters to me most, though, for the skill position players is their usage. Christian McCaffrey, as a rookie, played 70% of the Panthers' offensive snaps. So far this preseason, he has been on the field for 90% of the Panthers' first-team snaps. The Panthers are using him at the goal line, uh, running in between the tackles. They're using him like he was used at Stanford. Last year, he was like a scat back, you know, averaging 12.3 touches per game. He is going to be an every-down back this year. We can try to debate and forecast how that's going to go. Oh, well, you know, maybe he won't be effective in that role. Doesn't matter. What matters is that he's going to be getting the opportunity and a significant spike in volume. Um, C.J. Anderson, who they signed during the offseason to do a very cheap contract one year, uh, $1.75 million, he's been put into a competition with Cameron Artis Payne. There were times this preseason where C.J. Anderson was coming into the game behind Cameron Artis Payne. I do think that C.J. Anderson will make the team. I don't think that he's going to have a very big role, and I don't think that they're going to use him at the goal line and in that Jonathan Stewart role uh, as um, I think, you know, initially we should have expected, but we've learned more and um, we've been able to change our view on this, on this backfield. Now we, another thing that we talked about uh, on the offensive line show was uh, the, the injuries on the offensive line for Carolina. I do not think that they're going to be an offensive line and a running game that is able to impose its will on opponents, I do not think that Christian McCaffrey is necessarily going to have you know a very high yards per carry average. I think that if he hovers in that four range, uh, he was at 3.7 last year. I think that that will be good. Um, I think that their problems on the offensive line actually could help him from a from a passing game standpoint because um, I think that if they you know get Cam get the ball out of hand, uh, Cam's hands quickly uh, and to uh, you know their running back. Christian McCaffrey certainly can be the beneficiary of that. Last year, he led all running backs in targets. It's going to be hard for him to improve on 116 targets. Let's let's be realistic. But I think that if he hovers in that 100-target range, um, and I think he can actually definitely get over 100 uh, again. But And then he adds, you know, um, 
a, a big chunk of carries like he appe- appears to be headed for, and he gets those goal line carries, his upside has, can go through the roof. He's got a great floor and ceiling, and that's what I'm looking for from my fantasy picks. Uh, Christian McCaffrey over the course of the preseason went, went from a, a fringe second to third round pick to a first round pick, and I think that that's deserved. Royce Freeman and Emmanuel Sanders, a pair of Broncos on your risers list. Yeah, Royce Freeman this preseason, uh, he has looked like a man among boys. Um, And this is a a situation where we're looking at performance, but he's in a camp battle. And he has outplayed Devontae Freeman. And the Broncos beat writers at this point expect Royce Freeman to open the season. Maybe he won't be in on the first snap of the game. But they expect him to be the lead back in Denver, and I think that he's earned that big tackle-breaking workhorse, six foot, two hundred and thirty pounds. Almost plays bigger than that. I think. I mean, there are times when he's just looks like one of the the biggest dude on the field. Uh, t- he scored a touchdown in each of the Broncos' uh, first three preseason games. He reminds me of Sean Green in his prime, and now people will look back on this and say. You know, uh, Sean Green, he stunk. And, I mean, I get it. But Sean Green had some big years. He had two years of over 1,200 yards from scrimmage. Uh, I think that Royce Freeman has big touchdown upside. Uh, Sean Green had some pretty good touchdown years in there. Sean Green, like, struggled with his weight at times and, you know, maybe didn't ever quite reach his potential. But uh, I think that uh, Royce Freeman can maybe even be a rich man's version of that uh, and, and be a very productive player uh, in Denver. Um, again, I think that it is worth noting that the usage hasn't totally cooperated yet. Uh, Devontae Freeman and Royce Freeman essentially split first-team reps right down the middle during the preseason. Even Philip Lindsay, uh, the undrafted rookie, uh, he mixed in for some first-team snaps. So it's definitely not a lock, and it's not to the point where I want to put you know Royce Freeman in my second or third round. Uh, but I do think that he's worth a, a fantasy pick around that fourth, fifth round turn. Uh, and at the beginning of the preseason, he was like a seventh to eighth rounder. So he's been a significant riser. Um, and I think that he has a chance to get 250 plus carries and 25 plus catches uh, and maybe even push for, for 300 touches overall on a team that really should be featuring the running game to complement what should be a good defense this season. And then you mentioned Emmanuel Sanders last year. He only played 27% of his snaps at slot receiver. Um, so far in the preseason, he's played 64% of his snaps in the slot. He's going to be a slot receiver with case Keenum, uh, because Cortland Sutton and Demarius Thomas are the Broncos perimeter receivers. Cortland Sutton has locked up uh, a job on the outside in their three receiver sets. They don't have a great situation at tight end, so I think that they'll be leaning heavily on those three wideouts. Uh, in addition to uh, Deshaun Hamilton, who could also see some playing time. Um, so far in the preseason, Emmanuel Sanders has looked every bit like Case Keenum's number one receiver, heavily out-targeting Demarius Thomas. You go back and look at Case Keenum's history, loves the slot receiver, uh, particularly last year, Adam Thielen, when he lined up in the slot, he had the highest target rate in the entire NFL uh, among players who saw at least 50 slot targets. Uh, so Adam, uh, and, and I think that Emmanuel Sanders can be uh, even a more explosive version 
of Adam Thielen in the slot for the Broncos. Um, I think that this is the year that Emmanuel Sanders overtakes Demarius Thomas as the Broncos' number one, gets more targets than him, uh, gets more yards than him. Um, and I think that the pendulum switches uh, this year. Demarius Thomas even, even has been the subject of some trade rumors. Hey, you know, and uh, the uh, – uh, who was it? Uh, Mike Florio, I think, speculated that maybe he could be sent to the Patriots. I'm not sure that that'll happen necessarily, but the Broncos love their young receivers, and I think that Emmanuel is their new is their new number one. And so I do think that they would listen uh, if teams showed interest in Demarius uh, leading up to final cuts. You also have Jordan Howard and Jamal Williams, a pair of running backs in the NFC North on your risers list. Let's start with Howard. Why is he rising this preseason? Well, we talked about this this offseason, and this was obviously uh, prior to the preseason, but uh, just the change in offensive style is going to benefit Jordan Howard. Last year, the Bronco or the Bears uh, played only 50% of their snaps in shotgun. Uh, and, this, and Matt Nagy's Chiefs last year played 76% of their snaps in shotgun. Uh, Jordan Howard has averaged six and a half yards per carry on shotgun runs, ran out of the shotgun a ton uh, at Indiana. Um, but he has averaged only four yards per carry uh, from under center. So that increase in shotgun snaps, I think, is going to benefit Jordan Howard. Um but really what's most important and the biggest takeaway from the preseason is that Matt Nagy and the Bears coaching staff is giving Jordan Howard a clean slate. This guy led the NFL in uh, drop passes among running backs over the last two seasons, 14 drops. You know, I think that drops can be a little bit overrated um, as a negative uh, at the wide receiver position, at the tight end position. You can't have your running back dropping passes. I mean, those are, you know, those plays generally don't you know, have the potential to be like 25-yard explosive gains uh, when you're throwing to your, your running back. You know, a good running back average is like eight and a half, nine yards per reception. Um, so you don't, you're not getting a lot of upside on those plays, and you certainly cannot have the floor where that is uh, an, an incomplete pass, you know, because your freaking running back can't catch the ball. Um, and Jordan Howard has, has struggled with that. In each of his first two seasons, he spent the entire uh, summer and spring catching 200, 300 balls after practice. Uh, and Matt Nagy's like, look, we're going to play you on third down this year. You know, we are going to use you in the passing game. Um, so just giving him the opportunity to do that, I think, is really, really bodes well. And it bodes poorly for Tarek Cohen, uh, who did not see very much time with the first team offense this preseason. And I, I'm, you know, I'm a little concerned about Tarek Cohen. What is his role going to be in this offense? I think he's just going to be a situational kind of package player, um, and I think that he's going to return kickoffs and punts. Uh, but I think that Jordan Howard has been a riser and a guy that I've been drafting very, very aggressively in the second round. In addition to getting another shot to play in the passing game, he has very high touchdown upside on the Bears. Uh, and then you mentioned Jamal Williams. Aaron Jones struggled with a tr hamstring injury all training camp. You know, Aaron Jones just has not shown reliability in really any facet of his game or off the field. You know, he got busted for marijuana last year. He's going to end up um, 
opening the season on two-game suspension. He battled uh, recurring MCL injuries last year, uh, and then he uh, suffered this hamstring injury that cost him multiple weeks of training camp, and he struggles in pass protection, and that's one of Jamal Williams' strengths. So, look, do I think that Aaron Jones is, you know, has more big playability than Jamal Williams? Absolutely. But, but we also need to be able to put ourselves into the minds of the coaches because we're trying to figure out who's going to play. And Jamal Williams is going to play. And the B-Riders have indicated that they think he's going to open the season as like an every-down back. And Ty Montgomery uh, got hurt. Uh, Ty Montgomery is constantly hurt. He got hurt in the third preseason game, injured his foot. We, and we still see, uh, and you had a pretty high grade on the Packers offensive line, which I like to see. Uh, let's remember that last year in the second half of the season, Jamal Williams averaged over 20 touches per game and was the RB8 uh, in the second half of the year overall. So, I mean, this guy has shown uh, that he can pass protect. This guy has shown that, you know, he can make the most of his opportunities. This guy has shown that, you know, they can put the ball on, in, in his belly a lot of times and he can handle it from a health standpoint. Um, and he's still going in the sixth round and later in fantasy drafts. I think that right now he's one of the biggest values in fantasy football. Couple more running backs, actually several running backs. We'll start with Carlos Hyde in Cleveland. Yeah, he soundly beat out Nick Chubb for the Browns' starting job. It was like it wasn't even a competition between those guys. Carlos Hyde crushed it in the preseason. I mean, 17 carries for 108. And a touchdown, you could watch him play. He looked excellent. And the Browns' offensive line, who you gave a pretty high grade to as well, I think they were one of your top twelve or top thirteen units. They were they weren't even they didn't have Kevin Zeitler in the preseason. He was a little banged up. He's going to be fine for Week One. They were just being cautious with him, but they were opening some massive holes. And you remember uh, how we've talked about how the impact of a dual threat quarterback. Um, it, it can have a very positive influence on a run game as a unit. Uh, and the way that you play with Tyrod Taylor is you don't run a high-volume passing game. I mean, you use his uh, athleticism to your benefit from a running game standpoint. And the Bills did that. I mean, they were 32nd, 31st, and 31st in the NFL in pass attempts in his three seasons as a starter. And the Browns need to do the exact same thing. And they, they certainly sound committed to Tyrod Taylor. I mean, in my opinion, you know, Baker Mayfield should be getting some first-team reps. But my opinion doesn't matter. Um, you know, we're, we're trying to make forecasts here. And it's very, very clear that they want to force the issue with Tyrod Taylor. And he is going to be their starter. They did invest, you know, a, a top 65 pick in him. And they're paying him $16 million this year. Um, so they, they are incentivized to play him. And I also like the way that the Browns open the season in terms of their schedule. Um, Carlos Hyde, in week one, they're at home against Pittsburgh. The Browns uh, played the, the Steelers tough twice last year. I believe they lost 19-17 to 17 to them in week one. And then at the end, I mean, they lost by what one score uh, on a Corey Coleman uh, last-minute drop. So... They played them tough twice last year. The Steelers tend to come out flat quite a bit when they're on the road, uh, and the Browns will be catching them 
in Cleveland in week one. And the Steelers also really struggled in run defense after losing Ryan Shazier last year. So Carlos Hyde is going to be a rock-solid RB2 play in that week one game against the Steelers. Week two, they go to New Orleans. Now, this is a game that could potentially get out of hand from a game script standpoint if the Saints just come out lighting them up. Uh, But the Saints' strength as a defense is not uh, at defending the run. So I think that Carlos Hyde, he'll be a riskier riskier play that week, but still viable. Uh, And then week three at home against the Jets, that should be a very competitive game. And Carlos Hyde could certainly uh, have a big game there. Uh, and then they are at Oakland, and the Raiders' defense looks like it it could really be trash, especially if they don't have Khalil Mack uh, at that point. So I like the way that, that everything really here sets up for Carlos Hyde. Don't expect him to catch a lot of passes, uh, but he beat out Nick Chubb soundly. They've got a good offensive line. They should have one of the best running games in the NFL this year. R- r- they really should. Uh, and I like the way that the, the early season schedule sets up for him. Keeping it moving, uh, I'm loving this, by the way. Uh, this is so, so important. How about, how about James White with the Patriots? You kind of you forget about James White. I know, and I, you know, I think he might have a breakout year this year. I really do. Sony Michelle was fumbling, then got hurt, um, and he did recently return to practice, but they're still babying him. You know, this is the kind of situation where, I, I could, you know, it's, I, just, I think that like Sony Michelle, we might not hear for him from him for a while i mean i don't think that the patriots are going to push the envelope with sony michelle um you know i don't bill belichick is just does not seem like the type to force the issue with a rookie running back like this who they can't even necessarily trust um you know not seeing him practice like for essentially all of training camp showing poor ball security early in camp and at the college level um rex burkhead missed a bunch of practice time as well uh, the doctor, Dr. Chow, thinks he's going to be okay. Uh, and there was a report from the Athletics' Jeff Howe that Rex Burkhead, uh, they, they really just put him in, in bubble wrap uh, and that he's going to be fine for the season. But still, you know, it's it, it's no guarantee. He, he is dealing with a knee injury, and that's always scary for a running back. You know, he could easily, you know, even if he's ready for week one, he could aggravate the injury. Um James White still goes way behind these guys in fantasy drafts. I see him go behind Sony Michelle. He goes five or six rounds behind Rex Burkhead. Um, and if you look at what has happened the last two years in the Patriots' backfield, which people always want to avoid because you know they, they make fear-based decisions, not because they're trying to, to, to finish first. You know, And our goal is to finish first. Um, they avoid the Patriots running backs and they don't understand that the risk is already baked in to their ADP. And what happened the last two years is that the cheapest guy in the backfield wound up um, being a league winner. LeGarrette Blunt in the 11th round led the NFL in rushing touchdowns in 2016. Last season, no one wanted to even take Deion Lewis. Uh, and he was like a 14th round fantasy pick. Uh, and he was, he and Todd Gurley were the two biggest league winners among running backs down the stretch last season. Um, and James White right now is the cheapest running back uh, in that backfield out of, out of those big three. Uh, so he's been a guy that I've started to hammer in the ninth and tenth rounds of these late best ball drafts uh, where we have a lot of information uh, and we should have an edge on our opponents. Um, James White, one of my favorite fantasy picks right now. 
obviously, you know, skews a little bit toward PPR leagues. Um, but I mean, I think that we could see him open the season with, you know, 14 to 17 touches per game um, and, you know, catching a lot of balls for sure. Let's get to Bilal Powell, another running back that you kind of forget about for whatever reason. I swear there's certain guys that you like, you almost forget they're on teams. I don't know why, but it's like they just don't get enough love. Well, the first thing that went right for for, uh, Bilal Powell is that Elijah McGuire fractured his foot. The Jets were hoping to give Elijah McGuire a very big role. Their running backs coach um, even compared, uh, I think it's Stump Mitchell, uh, even compared – Elijah McGuire to LaDainian Tomlinson, uh, which, you know, is obvious hyperbole, but still, you know, shows that the Jets were very, very high on uh, Elijah McGuire, but he remains out indefinitely. Um, Bilal Powell ran ahead of Isaiah Crowell all preseason. Every single preseason game, uh, it was Bilal Powell in the lead, yet Isaiah Crowell is still going four rounds ahead of Bilal Powell. That's, you know, that's that doesn't make sense. Um, Blow Powell is skilled in the passing game. He's better in the passing game than Isaiah Crowell. He's also got a, an extra year of experience in this system under uh, Jeremy Bates. Uh, Jeremy Bates was not the OC last year. John Morton was, but the word among uh, the Jets' like organization is that Jeremy Bates actually had more of his fingerprints on last year's offense, and that's why they were so you know, quick to move on from John Morton and John Morton hasn't even resurfaced. I don't even think he's gotten another job in the NFL. Uh, so this has been Jeremy, this will be Jeremy Bates, second year running the offense. And he's seen what Bilal Powell can do. And Bilal Powell had a pretty darn good year last year. Uh, he finishes the RB 26 overall. And the year before that, he was the RB 15 overall in fantasy. Um, and I like, I think that this offense is, is underrated. Um, I really like what, what we've seen from Sam Darnold. They have speed to stretch the field on the perimeter with Robbie Anderson and Terrell Pryor. Uh, I, I, I'm big on Quincy Anunua as like a volume guy in the middle of, field, of the field, a high percentage volume guy uh, in the middle of the field. And I think that uh, this offense can surprise people. Uh, and I think that Bilal Powell, uh, at very least, is going to be a 50-50 timeshare back with Isaiah Crowell, and this is a dude that you can get pretty much every time in the 11th or 12th round. I think that in that in that vicinity, Bilal Powell is almost an auto pick. John Brown, obviously, he has gotten a lot of buzz, and deservingly so, in Ravens camp. Yeah, and the biggest thing for him is just that he stayed healthy. I mean, because we know that this dude can ball. Uh, in his second NFL season, he had over 1,000 yards and seven touchdowns. Um, he has missed only one practice dating back to OTAs and minicamp. All the way through OTAs and minicamp, all the way into training camp, missed one practice due to a knee injury and then returned the very next day. Um, has not missed a single day of training camp. He has outplayed Michael Crabtree in camp, according to all reports. Uh, targets in this offense are entirely up for grabs. They totally remade uh, the receiver core in Hayden Hurst suffered an injury, not going to be ready for week one. Uh, he looked like he was going to be playing a very big role in their passing game. Uh, so that uh, clears up even more opportunity for Jam- uh, John Brown. Lamar Jackson really never put pressure on Joe Flacco, who looked the best that he has in years. He's healthy after that back injury last season. 
Uh, and they're going to be willing to throw the ball more uh, with Joe Flacco under center than they would be if they were, um, you know, trying to run out Lamar Jackson, who just, you know, he isn't ready. That's fine. Uh, he, I think he has gotten better throughout the preseason, had his best game at Miami uh, last weekend um, and won me a bunch of money in preseason DFS. Uh, so thanks, Lamar. But this is going to be Joe Flacco's offense, um, you know, barring a face plant, barring an injury. And I think that that's actually good news for the members of the passing game simply because their attempts are going to be more volu- voluminous. Smokey's on a one-year $5 million prove-it contract. He's got a lot on the line this year, uh, and I think he's going to have a big year with Joe Flacco. David Njoku, tight end who's caught some balls for the Cleveland Browns this preseason. Only played 47% of the Browns' offensive snaps last year. He's been on nearly 90% of the Browns' first-team snaps so far this preseason. Has looked dominant on the field. You know, was, was it the first year that we were doing the feast that uh, it might have been the second year that we were talking about how Travis Kelsey was just ready to elevate. Um, you know, we nicknamed him Zeus, and he took off that year, and, you know, everything has, um, you know, he, it's like he gets better every year. I think that David Njoku could be on the same sort of career path. You look at this, the the Browns personnel in their uh, 11 package with three receivers and one tight end, the upside on it is pretty strong, man. Josh Gordon outside. Jarvis Landry in the slot, uh, and then Antonio Callaway uh, is potentially the other outside receiver, or Rashard Higgins, who's had a very nice camp slash preseason. Then David Njoku at tight end. They have a lot of potential. Um, I think that Tyrod Taylor is actually going to be a sneaky streamer early in the season. Also has uh, that that very nice schedule that we uh, referred to earlier uh, regarding uh, Carlos Hyde. I think that the Browns are going to be able to score some points early in the year. Uh, assuming that the coaching cooperates. Finally, Evan, you've got basically all of the Jags receivers. Right, because Marquise Lee tore his tore knee ligaments and is out for the season. So that elevates everyone on the depth chart. Dante Moncrief, Keelan Cole, D.D. Westbrook, and D.J. Shark. Uh, Dante Moncrief has played the most first-team snaps in the preseason I think that uh, or we are going to see D.D. Westbrook as the Jaguars' primary slot receiver. He's kind of like a vertical slot receiver. Think of how like Victor Cruz was used in his prime. T.Y. Hilton has been used like that. Uh, D.D. Westbrook played 70% of his preseason snaps in the slot, uh, and he's going to be playing in between Keelan Cole, who's the flanker, and Dante Moncrief, who is the X. Uh, my two favorite guys to target are D.D. Westbrook and... Um, Keelan Cole uh, and Keelan Cole and these guys are always available in the double digit rounds I'm not sure that these guys are going to be consistent you know this is it's going to be a receiver rotation they're going to use the, the young deep threat DJ Shark they're going to play four receivers uh, they did this a lot last year and they're a run first team so consistency is probably going to be an issue but I do like taking them in best ball and I think that those two guys D.D. Westbrook and Keelan Cole they're going to provide some big games over the course of the season. Let's get to the fallers now. We got through the risers. Now it's the other side of the equation. It's the fallers, and we'll start with Alshon Jeffrey in Philadelphia, obviously going to be out at least the first two weeks, according to Chris Mortensen. 
Yes. And that, you know, that stinks. Um, and, you know, it's still a possibility that he begins the season on reserve PUP, although they're saying uh, that that won't happen. Um, and maybe they, they'll, you know, they'll, they'll keep him on the active roster. But, you know, last year we saw this with Andrew Luck. They didn't put him on the, uh, on the, uh, the reserve PUP and he still wasn't ready. Um, and Alshon's dealing with a severe injury. I mean, we've talked about this a lot. Uh, I dumped him in my rankings. I mean, I had him wide receiver 25 at one point, and he's all the way down almost to wide receiver 40. Uh, I just want to put him in a place where I'm not getting him, and anyone using my rankings is not getting him uh, because I, I just I don't think it's worth it. Um, you know, he again, he tore his rotator cuff. Uh, he's been busted for PEDs. One thing that I looked, went back and looked at is guys who have been busted for PEDs and how their, the rest of their career trajectory went. And, man, it is bleak. I mean, these guys that, that get busted and try to come back, Alshon Jeffrey was actually one of the most successful ones uh, last year because he got busted in 2016 with the Bears. Uh, but he had under 800 yards despite playing all 16 games. Um, and then – you know, just wasn't wasn't great. He did stay afloat because he scored nine touchdowns, uh, but it's not like he came back and had a big year. And he has not gone over 821 yards in a season since the 2014 uh, campaign. So, you know, I think that we've probably seen the best uh, of Alshon Jeffrey. Uh, we also think that uh, Carson Wentz's touchdown rate, which was a league high 7.5%, uh, is going to drop this year. He's coming off a knee injury, and people, uh, quarterbacks just are not able to sustain uh, super high touchdown rates like that. That doesn't bode well uh, for Alshon Jeffrey. The guys I'm I'm targeting right now because of this are, number one, Nelson Aguilar, who's been undervalued all offseason. Um, number two, Zach Ertz, who I've moved up to right behind Travis Kelsey. I mean, Zach Ertz is going to dominate red zone work. I mean, he could get 10-plus targets a game for as long as Alshon Jeffrey is out. I mean, he, his, his floor and his ceiling are massive. I love Zach Ertz as a pick. I, I still see him go, like, mid-fourth round, late-fourth round, auto pick there. And then Mike Wallace, a guy who, you know, people are not really talking about, but he can still stretch the field. He really can still run, led the Ravens in receiving each of the last two seasons. He's going to play a bigger role with Alshon out. Well, this makes me feel good because, um, you know, some of my recent picks in our Fantasy Feast MFL 10 draft in the later rounds, I took, he was the only Jags receiver left. I took Moncrief after the Marquise Lee injury. I took Mike Wallace, you know, just flyers on some guys a, a little bit later, you know, late in those drafts. What about Dalvin Cook? Why is he a faller? I mean, there are just strong indications that this Vikings backfield is going to be a committee. You look at the history of John Filippo in both Cleveland and Philadelphia. He has run backfield committees. Dalvin Cook himself uh, has called he, he and Latavius Murray a one-two punch. Latavius Murray's finished top five in the NFL and carries inside the five-yard line in back-to-back years. He's a guy that multiple coaching staffs have looked at and said, hey, we want to give this guy the ball when we're in a scoring position, you know, all he's got to do is fall forward. He's so like tall and, and thick. All he's got to do is fall forward, and he'll score. I went on uh, Paul Allen, voice of the Vikings radio show, a couple weeks ago. He told me that he expects Latavius Murray to get the short yardage and goal line work over Dalvin Cook. 
Uh, and then, as we mentioned uh, on the offensive line show, this Vikings offensive line does not really look prepared uh, to be a dominant run-blocking unit. Uh, and so that's a concern as well uh, for Dalvin Cook. I like Dalvin Cook. You know, I've taken him a little bit, but I think he's more of like a fringe second to third round pick than the fringe first rounder a lot of people have been treating him as. Next up, we are going to keep it in the AFC. We're going to switch over to the AFC, but keep it at the running back position with LaShawn McCoy. Yeah, the 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 off-field allegations against him have quieted down, but you know, it's still possible that pending further investigation, that could resurface as a concern for his playing time. It's something that, you know, we have to kind of keep in the mind, keep in the backs of our minds. The Bills offensive line has just looked atrocious. And we talked about this as well uh, on the um, offensive line show. They just lost a ton of talent. In that third preseason game, they could not block a lick. Um Josh Allen bombed in the third preseason game. Looked pretty good in the, the Bills' first two games. Didn't look ready for prime time. And, I look, I, I understand that the offensive line was doing him no favors. Dude's got to get the ball out. You, you know, you have to get the ball out. Sacks really have been shown uh, to be more of a, um, a quarterback statistic than an offensive line statistic. Um, so, and Josh Allen has got – he's got a lot to learn, man. I mean – he played in the, the WAC or the Mountain West, um, and I'm not sure that he's ready to play right now. If it won't be him, it'll be Nathan Peterman. That may be a better option right now for the state of their offensive line. They just have not put Josh Allen in position to succeed um, based on their blocking, based on their receiving unit. LaShawn McCoy turned 30 in July, okay, and he is coming off a career-worst 3.9 yards per carry. He finished 32nd out of 47 running backs in football outsider success rate. I think that he is better than those metrics indicate, but those are all those are also objective metrics that I'm not just going to bat my, my eyes at that. You know, we're we're definitely going to bring it up as a concern uh, especially at his age. Uh, and recently LaShawn McCoy has been missing practices with a strained groin. Um, and I I don't like it when my players get injured already heading into the season. Uh, so there are a, a laundry list of red flags here on LaShawn McCoy. I'm still willing to draft him, uh, but it needs to be around that third, fourth turn as opposed to in the second or third round. What about Jarek McKinnon in San Francisco? Also has been injured, calf strain, cost Jarek McKinnon the second half of training camp, caused the 49ers to sign Alfred Morris, who, you know, Alfred Morris is the best outside zone runner on the team. Uh, and he knows the offense. Uh, and, uh, you know, after playing under Kyle Shanahan in Washington, I'm expecting this to become a committee. I think that, uh, you know, you look at what happened with the Vikings backfield last year. I think that Alfred Morris will be like the Latavius Murray and Jarek McKinnon will fall into that um, that role that, you know, a similar role to what he played last season. That doesn't mean that Jarek McKinnon is going to have no value. He's definitely going to have value. But he's not a guy that I'm trying to take in the top four rounds. And he still goes there consistently despite having significant concerns for his usage and already having an injury. And, you know, these are situations that over the course of time, if you avoid these situations, you're going to put yourself in a much better spot. I mean, sometimes you'll get them wrong, but by and large, you're going to get them right. 
when you're when you're avoiding severe red flag players like this. What about Ronald Jones in Tampa? Lost the camp battle to Peyton Barber, and it really was never even close. There were also times during the preseason when Ronald Jones even ran behind Jacquez Rogers. Um, and I think that at this point, you know, they, the Bucks lost Charles Sims. Ronald, Bar- Ronald uh, Jones is definitely not a candidate to take over the work that Charles Sims uh, left behind because he doesn't catch the ball and he doesn't pass protect. Jacquez Rogers is the favorite to take over that third down role with Peyton Barber in the first and second down role. And what that makes Ronald Jones is a situational change of pace early down back. And those guys don't score many fantasy points. Um, I thought that uh, Ronald Jones was overdrafted coming out of USC. Uh, he's, uh, he's a track athlete at USC. Uh, reminded me of like a poor man's Tevin Coleman, straight line speedster, uh, ran into the backs of his blockers a lot, not really elusive, uh, and at this point, uh, he belongs in the double-digit rounds of drafts. People should not be thinking that they're getting some sort of a steal just because this guy was a fifth or sixth-round pick a few weeks ago. Uh, and now, you know, taking him in the seventh or eighth, he needs to be going in the double-digit rounds or you don't take him at all. What about Rashad Penny in Seattle, another high pick? Yeah, got beaten out by Chris Carson, um, who had a really big preseason. I mean, I think Chris Carson looks like a spitting image of DeMarco Murray. Uh, DeMarco Murray, even in his prime, he can play in the passing game. Um, He runs with a lot of force and power. He's a run finisher. Uh, Rashad Penny, uh, after getting beaten out by Chris Carson, had surgery for a broken uh, finger. His weaknesses coming out of San Diego State were in the passing game, pass protection and receiving. And, you know, recovering from that injury on his hand, prevented him from getting valuable reps to improve in those areas. He also gained 16 pounds since the combine. Like this, this doesn't work, you know, adding weight at the running back position in particular does not work. He went from 220 to 236. Uh, that's not something that I want to see from, from my running back. Um, and I think at best Rashad Penny is going to be a committee back sharing time with Chris Carson and maybe even C.J. Prosize, who they've started to get a little bit more higher on recently. He's going to make the team. Uh, at best, a committee back behind a bad offensive line. Not a situation um, that you know really you, you really want to invest very much in. You know, We had so many rookie running back hits last season. Kareem Hunt, Christian McCaffrey, Alvin Kamara, um, you know, Leonard Fournette. I mean, there were so many hits that... I wonder if we got a little greedy uh, because the run, the rookie running backs this year, they have not gone according to plan. You know, even up at the top, Saquon Barkley missing so much training camp time with a hamstring injury. And then uh, Rashad Penny and Ronald Jones not even winning starting jobs. Randall Cobb has also kind of been in the news as well. Yeah, you know, rookie, they're rookie wide receivers. The Packers... They drafted three of them, okay? Marquez Valdez, Scantling, Equanimia St. Brown, and um, Jamon Moore. And they've all had pretty big moments in the preseason. Uh, Valdez, Scantling in particular. Uh, Equanimia St. Brown, the Packers have been using as a big slot receiver, which I found very interesting, almost like preparing for the exit of Randall Cobb. And that's what I'm worried about. You know, there have been reports that Randall Cobb is on the trade block, 
But, you know, no one's going to trade for a, an injury-riddled slot receiver uh, with an $8.5 million salary. Um, I don't think he has any kind of a trade market. And so what does that tell you if they are shopping him that his release uh, may be forthcoming? Um, and if, if Randall Cobb were to be detached from Aaron Rodgers, I mean, you know, the, the, his value would just be shot. Uh, he'd have to learn a new offense. He'd almost certainly be playing with a worse quarterback. And then if he stays in Green Bay, um, you know, he's he probably loses playing time to the rookies and Geronimo Allison, and he plays behind two uh, red zone dominators in Devontae Adams and Jimmy Graham who are just going to score, you know, hog touchdowns and hog red zone targets. So I at this point, I think that Randall Cobb, is his floor is too low and his ceiling is too low. Uh, for him to be someone that I'm really even considering. He's a guy that I, I dumped way down my fantasy rankings. Next up, you have Devontae Parker. Wow, Miami Dolphins receiver. Yeah, I think it just might be over for Devontae Parker in Miami. He's going to have to go somewhere else. You know, Maybe one of these guys who needs a change of scenery. I t- took him out of my top 150 altogether. He's DND, do not draft. Uh, even before suffering this injury, I mean, the dude hasn't even been cleared to catch passes yet. Um, he suffered this injury to his hand, uh, and he was already in danger of losing playing time to Albert Wilson, who they invested $8 million a year into. Adam Gase is not committed to Devontae Parker being ready for week one, um, and the beat writers have suggested that Devontae Parker could be shopped for cornerback help where Miami is weak. So, that look is pretty bleak right now for Devontae Parker. Do not draft. Calvin Ridley in Atlanta. Why? Why is he a faller? Well, he. You know, I think that there. You know, he's a first round pick, and so I don't think it was crazy to suggest that he could like overtake Mohamed Sanu for the Falcons' number two receiver job. But he has barely even been able to secure the number three receiver job so far. Uh, he has ran behind J- Justin Hardy so far in the preseason. And even Reggie Davis, um, like a practice squad type receiver. So has not carved out a surefire role. I'm still very optimistic about uh, Calvin Ridley in the long term. And I think he was a very good pick by uh, the Falcons from a real life standpoint. But it doesn't look like he's going to be making much fantasy noise. You know, how do you how do we even carve out targets for him? He's behind Julio. He's behind Sanu. You know, Austin Hooper is still a factor there. Uh, and then they have two uh, pass catch, you know, running backs who can are, are definitely serviceable at worst in the passing game. So, you know, he's going to need multiple injuries. You know, certainly one to Julio Jones to to become any kind of a fantasy factor. And I went back recently. I looked at you know we had that awesome 2014 wide receiver draft with Mike Evans, Odell Beckham, um, you know, Allen Robinson. Uh, you know, the list went on and on. Since then, first-round rookie receivers have been bad. I mean, brutal. 13 wide receivers drafted in the first round over the last three years. Only two have gotten to 500 yards as rookies. Only one has gotten to 700 yards as a rookie. I mean, we need more than 700 yards for our guys to be, you know, big-time fantasy players for sure. Um, And that's a one out of 13 hit rate. It's a small sample size. It's not necessarily indicative of what is going to happen in the future. Uh, but it's something that I wanted to point out, uh, and I think that Calvin Ridley is probably going to be the next one to struggle to get 700 yards. 
Lastly, Cam Meredith, who's just got the injury bug. Yeah, he's changing teams, coming off a major knee injury. Uh, he missed about two weeks of training camp with an undisclosed injury. I'm not sure that it's, it was related to the knee, but still, you know, changing teams, these wide receivers that change teams, um, their hit rates are, are lower. I mean, there are every single year lots of examples of wide receivers that change teams and uh, do not succeed in their first year on those teams. Perhaps more concerning than anything is has been the emergence of Traquan Smith. Uh, the Saints rookie receiver out of UCF. He has been awesome. I mean, the Saints beat writers were talking about him, you know, going back to OTAs and minicamp, just ripping up practice. And he has been awesome in the preseason. Uh, I think that he, they're really going to struggle to keep him off the field. I think that we will see him out there for at least 15 snaps in week one alongside Ted Ginn and uh, Michael Thomas. And it was concerning to me that Cameron Meredith in that third preseason game was out there in the fourth quarter, um, out there at, like operating as a run blocker, did not catch a pass from Drew Brees all preseason. Um, he has fallen to the point where I'm, I'm just I'm not looking to draft him. I think that it's going to be Michael Thomas at the top, uh, and then Alvin Kamara uh, as you know the second guy in line for targets, and it's going to be you know Ben Watson, Traquan Smith, Cam Meredith, Ted Ginn competing for the other targets in that offense, not going to lead to a whole lot of fantasy production. Love it, Evan. Outstanding job. Speaking of outstanding, I don't know, have you heard about what DraftKings is doing for week one? It's pretty cool. I mean, people already know that DraftKings.com is the leader in one-week fantasy sports. You choose when to play. No season-long commitment. Just pick your players. Stay under the cap. People know most of that stuff by now. If you haven't given it a shot, you should. But how about this? To celebrate week one, DraftKings is hosting a free team pick'em promo. Download the app or go to DraftKings.com now and use code FEAST. All you have to do is pick at least half of the winning teams correctly, and you'll win a share of a million bucks. So as long as you get at least half the winning teams for week one right, you get money back. You guys can do this. It's code FEAST only at DraftKings. Again, code FEAST at DraftKings.com. Feast, that's the code. The game inside the game. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Pick'em for details. Let's get the one email here, Evan. Ever wanted to ask an NFL player a question? Well, here's your chance. It's time to ask Ross. Thanks for the podcast, guys. This comes from Ben in Wisconsin. Ross, with the energy, positive attitude, and Evan, with the fire takes advice. Love it. Keep it short as possible. Need 12-team PPR. Uh, in, oh, no, that was last week, right? Yep, that was last <laughs> yeah. week. So I forgot to delete that one. All right, this is William Moyer. I am two drafts into the 2018 fantasy season. I had an observation. I tend to always gravitate to the same players. And I was wondering... As a fantasy pro, do you intentionally draft the same players on your team? I understand that not all teams can be 100% alike, but since it is a possibility, to you intent, do you intentionally stay away from players you draft in other leagues? Otherwise, if you aren't doing well in one league, you probably aren't doing well in all of them. But then on the flip side, if it is a winning team, 
you might be winning in a good majority of the leagues. Just a strategy question I was thought was an interesting one to think about from William Moyer. So, Evan, I think you've touched on this before. You are in a million leagues. Do you diversify or do you just keep keep hitting what you believe? Yeah, um, I mean, I'm going to end up doing like 800 drafts. Um, and the way that I'm able to do that is because I do a lot of fast drafts on play draft. Um, but, you know, all, all in total with all my redraft leagues and all my best ball leagues, I'm going to end up doing like 800. So it's, it's easy for me to say that, that, hey, every week, you know, I reset my rankings and I wind up with different guys. You know, that's the way that I'm able to diversify is I reset um, every time, you know, just reevaluating situations, adjusting for injury. And so that's the way I end up diversifying. But for someone who, hey, you know, you've only done two drafts, which is normal. It's probably even above average in terms of volume. Most people just do one draft. Um, you know, you're, you're going to end up doing, I don't know, I would guess like maybe three or four more. Um, you know, I, I don't really know because I'm not, you know, really doing that myself. I'm not doing that small number of drafts. Um, I don't, I wouldn't have any problem with gravitating toward the same guys though, when you're doing uh, low volume drafting, because there's a reason that, you know, that those are, are the guys that you like in the first place. It's because you're using your logic, you're using, you know, projections, you're, you know, using your intuition, you're using all the, the observations that you make during the preseason and, you know, listening to the coaches and just taking in all the information. There's a reason that you like those guys. Um, it's because you believe in them. And I think it's fine to gravitate toward those guys. I don't think that when you're doing low-volume drafting, uh, you necessarily have to diversify from te- from team to team because then you may be putting yourself in uh, suboptimal situations, situations that you don't really believe in, that you don't have as much evidence for, simply on the basis of diversifying. So um, I would I would stick with the same guys, man. Speaking of knowing Evan, which guys to stick with or not, Squad QL is an awesome, awesome app that you guys need to download and check out. It actually recommends the best starting lineup for you each week based on your starters, bench players, the free agent pool. It's crazy. So the app connects directly with your Yahoo, ESPN, CBS League, wherever you guys are playing, pulling in your actual roster and your league scoring system. Squad QL also provides waiver and trade recommendations, plus the app gives you player rankings each week, and it's all based on your league's settings. Squad QL is your go-to app this fantasy season. These are the same dudes that invented RotoQL that over 100,000 DFS dudes use to optimize their daily fantasy lineup. You can also download RotoQL for free for both Apple and Android. That'll do it for the preseason next week, baby. Evan, it is week one. You guys know what we do. We go through every matchup, and Evan gives you the fantasy-relevant note on basically every player. So any player on your team, Evan will give you some contest context it's not just a ranking it's what you should know before you make the decision of who to play 
and who to sit in week one and week two and all the way through. That is why we are here, my friends. Make sure you're already subscribed to the podcast. We also will have some pretty darn cool giveaways next week that I know you'll be excited about if you're into a little thing called Madden. little hint right there. Uh, we also have... Uh, lots of ways that you can contribute to the show, the sponsor confirmations, the Apple podcast rankings, et cetera, et cetera. Get excited, baby. It is go time. I'm stuffed. We're done. Thanks for listening to the Fantasy Feast podcast. Make sure to also subscribe to the Ross Tucker football podcast, Even Money, and the College Draft podcast, all available on iTunes at RossTucker.com or wherever podcasts can be found.